Taylor Decker's on my all 22 fantasy team. Stop. They don't care. So the strategic component to this game is through the roof. Your predictions, right? Your forecasting in fantasy football into how good is this player? This is gonna it's gonna change the industry. Yeah. yeah. I move to the old town with those down. Look at me now. I wrote my goals down. Hello, everyone, and welcome into another edition of the All 22 podcast. I am Ray Cotto. Uh, I am flying solo today as my partner in crime. Chris is out doing uh, much more important and wonderful things as he welcomes a new addition to the family. Uh, we all send our sincerest congrats to him. So, with that, I'm flying solo again. You have to deal with me. So, uh, we're just going to sort of jump right in here. Uh, and if you remember last week, we talked about some uh, players to target and take note of in advance of the trade deadline or the upcoming trade deadlines in your all 22 leagues. Uh, this week, we're going to basically take a look at the transactions that took place earlier this week. The NFL trade deadline was this past Tuesday afternoon. Uh, several big moves uh, that kind of really shape the NFL landscape for several teams, whether it's uh, gearing up for some title runs and getting out of some uh, slumps, as in the case of the 49ers, uh, and then others really just sort of committing to a rebuild like we see with the uh, Arizona Cardinals and the Washington Commanders. And then some teams that are just kind of in the middle and still don't really know what they're trying to accomplish, such as the Minnesota Vikings. But in any event, we're going to take a look at uh, some of the biggest trades that went down uh, in advance of the NFL deadline and how they impact your all 22 teams moving forward, along with some commentary on sort of the broader picture uh, for the NFL as well. So uh, super excited about it. This is always a fun time of the season. This is kind of right before we all hit the home stretch of our all 22 leagues and into the second half of the NFL season. It's also early November, late October. It's you really have that chill in the air now for some of us in the Northeast. If you get in the car early enough in the morning, you actually have to maybe sit and wait a minute or two for it to actually warm up. So it is that time of year again, but with that comes great things. So uh, let's jump right in and just go into our trade deadline takeaways, starting with the big deal for Chase Young going to the San Francisco 49ers. My initial takeaway, this is a big win for the 49ers, uh, as you might expect, right? Chase Young is 10th in pass rush win rate this season and 6th in total hurries, while Nick Bosa now on the other side of him is 3rd and 7th in each of those, respectively, among all edge rushers in the NFL. If you recall from some of our earlier episodes, Chris and I kind of discussed Drake Jackson early in the year and how there's sort of this opposite of Nick Bosa effect to where having an elite talent like that, a tier one edge on the opposite side can really free things up for you as the, you know, sort of the Robin to his Batman, right? And Drake Jackson got off to a really hot start this season and then really cooled off over this last month, which pretty much was a microcosm of the 49ers as a whole this season as they've really tailed off over the last couple of weeks. So now this is a move that really sort of rejuvenates their, their defense uh, and gets them back on track and adds an elite edge rusher 
alongside or opposite Nick Bosa to an already super stout defense and an offense where when it's humming uh, can obviously play some great complimentary football, can really just control the ball and the pace of the game and put opponents in a bind. So when you go back to that Nick Bosa effect that Chris and I discussed early in the season, this is more of a synergy between Bosa and Young now on the opposite side because Young in his own right can obviously carry the water for himself and someone opposite him, of course, assuming good health, which is what we've seen at least so far this season for the most part. But that is always the big question with Chase Young is just, you know, how healthy is he going to be, right? So uh, by now, you know, heading into week nine, Chase Young has likely played himself into an every week starter role at edge for you after possibly, you know, maybe you were a little hesitant at the start of the year due to his health issues the last two seasons. And you were just kind of waiting to see how he might bounce back. Uh, I think by now, for the most part, like I said, he's ascended to that one or two edge for you in your all 22 leagues, regardless of league size at this point. I think it's fair to say that when healthy, he's in that top 16 range, even if you're in a, an eight team league here. Uh, but even so, while he was in a stout and pretty deep defensive front for the Washington commanders before this, I think this nudges the ceiling ever so higher for him because he didn't have a Nick Bosa in Washington alongside him. Now he does. So uh, it's really a pick your poison um, sort of dilemma for their opponents now moving forward. And that's just going to benefit both of these guys. So uh, I'm a big fan of this move. Again, he's probably a starter for you every week anyway. Obviously Nick Bosa is, um, but I do think this again, nudges that ceiling a bit higher. You can be a bit more excited uh, for Chase Young's prospects moving forward for you for the remainder of this year and probably for the next couple of years, again, depending on how that contract situation sorts itself out uh, moving forward here, you'd like for him to stay in a situation like San Francisco uh, and be surrounded by such talent on that defensive front. So we'll see how that shakes out long-term, but definitely for this season, big props to Chase Young, big win for the 49ers just because they've had a couple games slide here. They're not going to sit back. They're still going to go for it all. Um, and that roster is in a position to do it. So thumbs up all around there. As for the Washington commanders, we'll get into that a little bit later uh, as it relates to their future prospects. When we talk about the other move they made during the trade deadline, but for now we're going to transition over to another trade uh, that kind of had some aspects of one team going for it and another team maybe starting that rebuild here. And that's Rasul Douglas, the cornerback being traded from the Green Bay Packers to the Buffalo Bills. Uh, and my initial thoughts as it relates to uh, Rasul Douglas, kind of neutral. Um, I don't believe the Bills pass rush is especially imposing in such a manner that really impacts Douglas's performance materially in a positive direction. Uh, I think for the Bills themselves, it's a great, move as a whole uh, after losing Tredavious White to injury. Um, right now, they're 16th in pass rush as a unit in total defense. Uh, and Douglas is a quality player that can hold up for a bit more time there on the back end, maybe allow that rush to get home uh, if it's not a front that's going to sort of dominate the game on its own, regardless of what's behind them, right? So 
Uh, it does sort of help in that respect, but he's not necessarily a uh, what I like to call a geometry-changing cornerback either in the sense that, hey, he's lined up on this side of the field. He's lined up to the field or the boundary. You just don't look his way. He just erases your top weapon. He's not necessarily that, but to be fair, um, there's really maybe three to five of those types of cornerbacks in the league at any given point in time. So it's no slight to Rasul Douglas uh, to not be in that category, right? Um, so the Bills, they're in win-now mode, and they needed help in the secondary. So they went out and got a very good corner uh, in Rasul Douglas. But me personally, I don't see this move alone as enough to really get them over the hump based on what we've seen in recent weeks. And I don't see the environment that gives uh, Rasul Douglas any kind of bump based on supporting cast to what his performance already has been this season, which is fine. I mean, he's he's a he's a great player, um, you know, a top twenty corner this season so far. I think that you know he will maintain that performance uh, for this coming season. But I think for the Bills as a whole, really, it just comes down to Josh Allen. Are we getting good Josh Allen? Or are we getting you know, turnover prone Josh Allen, who puts the ball in harm's way, sometimes needlessly. Uh, I think if he can clean that up, then you're going to get the high ceiling, high flying uh, bills that we're used to with, you know, top five, top six quarterback Josh Allen that we've seen in the past. Um, but he hasn't been that consistently thus far this season. But again, heading into week nine, right around the halfway point of the season, plenty of time to turn that around. So while this move certainly helps the bills, there's more to it than that, and it really is going to come down to Josh Allen. For the Packers, uh, I don't think uh, from an All-22 perspective, it really impacts much at all. I don't think any of us were really looking at the safeties that they had and had in them on our All-22 rosters. Uh, you know, I've, I've sort of been vocal about my, uh, my love-hate relationship with Darnell Savage uh, and where that's gotten me after he was one of my early picks uh, after his rookie season in All-22 and how that has worked out or really has not worked out uh, for me in that regard as well. Um, but the Packers defense, when you look at them, they just are what they are, right? That front seven, those guys just do what they do. Uh, and they're not reliant on the back end to buy them more time to make some plays or get home and then maybe go for some strip sacks or something. They just do what they do, period. Rashawn Gary came back and is really just far ahead of where many people believed he would be in his recovery from a torn ACL. And so, uh, again, he's sort of really kind of carried that front along with, you know, a Quay Walker on the second level as well, at linebacker. They're just doing their thing out there, right? Uh, they get a third round pick in exchange for a 29 year old corner. So, you know, me, I'll always be in favor of that. I think once you get close to that 3 0 number for a cornerback in particular, the, those days are numbered. So if you can get a day two pick in exchange for that, I'm all for it. But at the same time, they did also give up a fifth round pick in order to get that third round pick back. So I believe to me that signals the start of a rebuild, which may not be surprising to many of you listening, right? I think that's sort of a common takeaway, but more broadly to me, it appears to be another data point uh, that they don't really see Jordan love as the quarterback of the future based on his recent play. And at the very least, certainly not someone that they can contend with this season. So with a roster that, while not great, is still in the NFC and can certainly hang with the not top teams in the NFC, a.k.a. not the 49ers, not the Eagles, not the Cowboys, 
I don't, I don't want to say it's premature for them to sort of punt on the season, which this is what this signifies to me as a whole, right? I mean, they're not going to come out and say it and, oh, it's only one player, but no, they're, they're, they're kind of punting here. Um, I, it's, it's a little early for me. I'm, I'm not sure I love it too much in that respect, but I get it. If you're going into a rebuild and you're not sold on Jordan Love, go ahead, shore up that roster. Uh, I don't see them similar to what they did, what, four years ago for Jordan Love as far as trading up in order to get a rookie quarterback. I don't think, even if they're not sold on Jordan Love, based on his contract situation and the state of that roster, I don't believe we see a move like that this season. But um could be something in the cards you know, over the next two or three years or so, once they get this roster into a healthy place on the offensive side of the ball, get a few more weapons, then maybe they look to their quarterback of the future uh, and go from there. So I do think uh, from an all 22 and perhaps an NFL perspective, while it might be early to call this shot, Jordan Love's days might be, might be numbered as a starter. I think the experiment is not going as well as they had hoped. Um, uh, dare I say Sean Clifford watch in a couple weeks, if things continue to slide the way they do, that will be something you'll definitely want to tune into that episode. If that comes, uh, I, I don't care if Chris is on a, on 15 minutes of sleep a night still at that point, we will get him on and discuss that. But um, in any event, I think uh, the signal is the start of a rebuild for the Packers. Bills are going for it. A bit of a help, you know, a little bit of a bump for the bills, but at the end of the day, it still comes down to Josh Allen. Uh, and for you, Russell Douglas owners out there, hold on to him. I don't think this changes much in his performance. I don't think it's a big boost. I don't think it's necessarily a decline either. Uh, he just is what he is, which is probably a starting corner for you at least this season in his age 29 season. So, um, keep strong and steady on that. And then for Jordan Love, he probably was just sort of a flyer, uh, quarterback two or three for you on your all 22 roster anyway, just to kind of see how that ended up. And right now it's not looking so good. We'll see if it turns around the second half of the season, but I am not holding my breath. Moving over to their division rival, the Minnesota Vikings. Josh Dobbs was traded to the Minnesota Vikings. So my initial thought there is it just is what it is. Uh, very unfortunate, obviously, uh, to see Kirk Cousins go down with an Achilles injury. Uh, I think getting Josh Dobbs was making the best of a bad situation for the Minnesota Vikings as it relates to 2023, but it's obviously a huge downgrade for sure. Kirk Cousins was playing the very best football of his career this season. He was that veteran who was putting everyone else in the best possible pre-snap situations and was making things happen post-snap despite offensive line injuries and no true rushing threat behind him for the majority of the season. So. He really, we talked about this for years, how he would grade well, he would carry out his assignment, he would run the offense, but he wasn't taking those next steps to make plays or elevate those around him. This season, he definitely elevated everyone around him from uh, those receivers. Obviously, Justin Jefferson is already uh, top tier, but whether it was you know rookie Jordan Addison or the offensive line in front of him as they were dealing with injuries, he was making that offense hum. And... Obviously, again, he's not there now. So I think as a whole, everybody's performance really goes down a bit. Uh, even if that's, you know, Christian Darisau, if he's healthy and, uh, you know, TJ Hawkinson, I think we'll have to see how Josh Dobbs relies on him. 
he kind of likes tight ends. Sometimes for you know fantasy owners, it's not always the uh, top option at tight end, but he does like to use his tight ends as a security blanket. So I am interested to see if Hawkinson is force-fed some t- uh, targets here, giving him some more of an opportunity to boost that score on a week-to-week basis. But uh, by and large, I do think this drops Jordan Addison to a clear wide receiver three or four in your all 22 leagues, which is honestly where he was scoring previously, right? He's the wide receiver 43 right now uh, in the league, but many users seem to have been starting him in one of their top two slots after he really did have some really great flashes uh, over the course of the first half of the season. Um, But I think this injury now to Cousins gives you cover to do the right thing, which is be conservative with him. He's a rookie. He's making some splash plays, but again, wide receiver 43. So there is some of that rookie uh, sort of growth taking place. He's not necessarily a tier one guy just yet, although it's obviously very promising. So do the right thing here. Be a little bit conservative with him. Wide receiver three, wide receiver four in your rotation and just see how things sort of play out with Dobbs in Minnesota. Again, is is Addison force-fed even more targets now? Um, or is that something that'll go kind of shift toward Hawkinson's way? What happens when Jordan, uh, not Jordan Addison, Justin Jefferson comes back as well? I think this also allows Jefferson to do the right thing for himself too, which is to also be conservative with his return from injury, which of course, if you have him on your roster, You want him out there as soon as possible, but obviously you want him at full health, especially for the stretch run and the playoffs of your all 22 season, regardless of who's at quarterback. He's one of those situation proof players, right? So as you might expect, no surprises there really, right? With Kirk Cousins going out, everybody sort of takes a step back, but maybe a sliver of opportunity there for some additional targets and opportunity for TJ Hawkinson. Uh, And then let's just see how Jordan Addison grows and develops from here on out. Just take a step back on that one. Uh, And then for the Cardinals, just to be brief, probably didn't have too many players uh, on that roster on your all 22 team, at least none that were sort of tier one players at their positions. Right. Um, I think quite simply, this allows the Cardinals to get a look at Clayton Toon and then Kyler Murray when he returns from his knee injury so they can have a clear picture with what they want to do at quarterback this coming offseason, which is going to shape, obviously, the future of that franchise for the next decade plus, really. Um, So what are they going to do? Are they going to go get a quarterback like Caleb Williams or Drake May in the draft? Are they going to roll with Kyler Murray? Uh, and get a guy like Marvin Harrison Jr. or Olu Fashinu to sort of bookend the tackle spot opposite Paris Johnson Jr. I know there were some reports that came out, I think during some NFL pregame stuff this past week, about Arizona viewing Kyler Murray as their future guy this past week. But I'm not quite sold on that just yet, and I do think a lot of that will depend on what happens in the latter half or third of the season when we do see him on the field again. As for the Vikings... I don't know, man. Just I think you just start the whole thing from scratch. Honestly, you should have traded Daniel Hunter and any anyone else with a movable contract of value at this point. Unfortunately, this thing is just falling apart. It was already being held together by chewing gum and and you know paper clips with Kirk Cousins standing on his head uh, and that defense just kind of scratching and clawing its way to some competent performances and some boom or bust uh, performances as well. It's just not happening for them. 
even if they sort of pull off the final wild card spot or something, which I doubt that's going to happen anymore, but it's just not happening for them. I think they need a reset and just sort of build around some of the young weapons you have mainly on the offensive side of the ball right now and just improve your roster health because there's a lot of needs when you look across the board there on paper. Um, so yeah, it hurts. It's a tough pill to swallow. You never want to see it happen to a player like cousins, uh, or anyone at that, you know, at that quarterback position or just anyone period, but it's just the cards they're dealt with. Uh, no pun as we're also talking about the Arizona Cardinals. Um, just, you know, I think it's time to start that rebuild as well. So go ahead and join Arizona in the ranks of, uh, the ranks of the tank. It's, it's, you know, the water's fine. Take a brief pause here again, uh, just to to remind you, do things a little bit different here, right? I'll do it in the middle of the show uh, to please, you know, give us a, a, a like, of course, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already, leave us a five-star review. Those things are all super helpful and we're always super grateful for all the feedback and humbled by the feedback uh, that you give us as well. So um, never hurts to support the channel. It's always much appreciated. With that, we're going to go back to the commanders for a bit and talk about the trade of Montez Sweat to the Bears in exchange for a second-round pick. And my first thought was, is this a good thing for Montez Sweat, or how bad is this for Montez Sweat? The Bears are a dumpster fire, and they are a dumpster fire. They're not top 20 in overall defense, run defense, pass rush grading, or coverage. So they're just not top 20 in anything. And not just that. They're not just not top 20 in any of those, but they are dead last in the NFL in pass rush in the entire league. And I think 30th overall in defensive grading as a unit. So it ain't good at all. There's, there's nothing to hang your hat on. If you're the Chicago bears on defense, there's just not, you like Jalen Johnson, I guess you like Jaquan Brisker. That's it. Um, but when you get back to Montez sweat, I think individually, he's good enough to still thrive on his own. We talked about how the Washington Commanders had such a stout defensive front, but Montez Sweat was the highest-graded uh, highest defender on that front in 2023 thus far and last year in 2022. He was the engine that made them run. When we talked about how stout that defensive front was, it was because of Montez Sweat first and foremost. Yes, Jonathan Allen. Yes, Chase Young, whenever he was on the field. but And then Deron Payne as well, which we'll get into in a little bit. But Sweat was the guy there. So, you know, my partners had some tough words for Deron Payne when he signed his extension. And it's warranted, right? He's just inside the top 30 as a run defender for defensive interior players which puts him squarely in the mid-range for starting defensive interior players in all 22, but is overall outside of the top 40 at the position when it comes to overall grading. So that is not a top even three defensive interior player for you in your lineups week to week uh, in any league format, right? So at best, he should be a defensive interior four for you if you have to go into a three, four front for the week and he's, you know, you're the guy who maybe slides in for a bye week or something. But that's really it for a guy like Deron Payne, who is now left behind uh, in Washington with this trade to Montez Sweat. So with the loss now of 
Chase Young and Montez Sweat, he's going to be asked to shoulder more of the load along with Jonathan Allen. And as for Jonathan Allen, after his monster 2021 season, he had a quality 2022, great player, perfectly fine, but he's currently trending as the 37th overall scoring defensive interior player in the game, heading into his age 29 season. Now with a rebuilding roster with no way out of his contract until 2025, situations only deteriorating around him in both the short and the long term. Because whatever investments the commanders do make from here on out, likely going to go on the offensive side of the ball. So for me, we're talking about trade deadline and how you're probably brushing up against that in your all 22 leagues. To me, Jonathan Allen is a sell candidate uh, as soon as you can, because I think that value is only going to trend downward. He still is a name. He still is someone that can be placed into the lineup on a weekly basis, but is not making the big impact we saw a couple of years ago and earlier on in his career. So if you can, I would make that move. Uh, he's definitely a sell candidate for me. Back to the Bears. They will likely sign Montez Sweat to a long-term deal. I don't think you make this deal unless you have the intention of signing him or extending him rather. Uh, and with that, you should get three prime years from him through his age 30 season. And then after that, like most contracts in the NFL, after three years, you can get out of it uh, with minimal damage, right? If worse comes to worst, they also have the franchise tag on the table at least, but money talks and the Bears should have plenty of money to be able to spend this coming off season. They don't have a big quarterback contract or anything on the books, so it should be good to go there. I expect the deal to get done. And again, Montez Sweat to me is a situation-proof player, just like he made that commander's defensive front really sort of go. Not that he's going to do the same to the extent uh, to the same extent with the Bears, but he himself, he's going to get his. He always does. And then with that, another player I'm looking at who may be on your waiver wire uh, if you're maybe a, an 8 or 10 team league, uh, maybe even a 12 as well, but uh, I would hope some of you are paying attention to some of those deeper leagues. But long-term stock up, Gervon Dexter. He gets to now play alongside someone like Montez Sweat He's a rookie out of Florida who's playing like a rookie, but he's got athletic upside, has shown some flashes, and is currently trending around 30 snaps per game. So as he grows, it's great to have a guy like Montez Sweat alongside him, right? Um, so stock up on Gervon Dexter. We talked a lot about the defensive interior class for 2023 in the draft and how they had a lot of very good players who really put out some good tape. And it's just a matter of, again, Defensive interior takes some time. You want to see how they grow, but you want to see those flashes. He's still showing those flashes. Uh, and a lot of other uh, rookie defensive interiors have as well thus far. So I think this is a great move for Montez Sweat, um, or excuse me, for Gervon Dexter to have Montez Sweat alongside him on that defensive line. For the commanders, just to sort of wrap up, they're rebuilding. They get a fantastic return as that second round pick is currently set to be the 34th or 35th overall pick in the upcoming draft for a guy that they didn't have money to sign long-term after signing Payne and Allen on the books anyway, right? But on the flip side, to me, this is bad news for someone like Emmanuel Forbes, who coming into this year as a rookie was an upside player that was thrown into the fire early and struggled. 
you kind of look at the coverage scheme uh, breakdown for a lot of the rookie corners in this class. Most of them are struggling. He's struggling a little more uh, than some of those others. But I mean, he was caught several times against AJ Brown alone downfield in coverage, which is just plain bad for anybody, let alone a rookie who is probably giving way about 65 pounds worth uh, to AJ Brown, just in the pure strength category, right? So that's never going to end well. But we're talking about a young player who needed a good environment to go through the growing pains of the NFL early. And now he's stuck in a rebuild situation. And the other way to look at this is sure, the commander's got a great pick for sweat. But what happens if they turn around and trade up for a quarterback? What if this is just ammo for them to trade up to get their quarterback of the future, as opposed to standing pat and waiting for that quarterback to come for them? They give up multiple day one and two picks for a quarterback. They're likely going to spend what's left of their uh, draft capital or, or cap space to address that offensive line so that way they can protect their quarterback and, again, give him that conducive environment to growing and succeeding in the NFL. So where does that leave the defense and some of the pieces that are kind of left essentially stranded on that defensive uh, unit, right? I mean, they have some good players, Curl, Forbes, and they're still, again, you have Allen there, pain hit and miss. He's got some upside there, but obviously it's not as deep after these two moves that they made at the trade deadline. So perhaps I'm getting ahead of myself here, but we're talking at least a couple of years of rebuild which is not conducive for a player like Forbes, who's young and kind of needs uh, a steady environment around him as he grows into the NFL. I don't see many defensive reinforcements on the way with these recent moves from the commanders. So it's really tough and and it's, it's kind of a stock down situation for me, for someone like Emmanuel Forbes, who I love his upside, not to say he's obviously not going to hit, but it just became much tougher, right? So commanders fans just embrace the rebuild, you know, Josh Harris, the new owner, he has experience with this during his trust the process years with the 76ers. As long as Goodell and the NFL don't hijack it like uh, Adam silver and the NBA did with the 76ers, you should be much better for this rebuild on the other side. So just embrace the tank. Like I said before, the water's fine and you will come out on the other side better for it. Assuming you hit on that quarterback pick that is coming over the next year or two at the latest. So, all right, that's just a handful of our uh, main takeaways from the NFL trade deadline and what that could mean for your all 22 teams and some players you may have rostered uh, and some big plans for as well. So hope you all enjoy week nine. Uh, we're coming up on many of those trade deadlines again in those all 22 leagues. So pay close attention to the trade block and get those moves in before it's too late. Whether you're pushing your chips in on the table or punting for future years, there's always moves moves to be made and room to improve. So, you know, always stay diligent and vigilant. Uh, and as always, hit that like button. Subscribe to the channel wherever you listen to us. And please be so kind to leave us that five-star review. It's always greatly humbling and appreciated. Uh, and again, give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at all22 underscore PFF. Tell your friends, enjoy the games, and we'll see you next week. I'm a ghost.